We're still in our same series, uh, I Have Decided. How many of you guys have enjoyed this? Good? Good way to start the year? Good, all right. I'm going to jump straight into some scripture, uh, and then I'll, I'll talk about what gathering, what uh, discipline we're on tonight, all right? So 25 verses in a row. Can you guys handle that? Yeah. Two separate passages, 115, 110, and I'm going to read it out of the message. It's not usually my favorite translation, but I really like the way that it uh, kind of painted the picture, if you will, okay? So I shaved my beard. Is that me giving feedback? No? Okay. So we're starting in John 13. We'll be in 1 through 15. That's where we're going to start, okay? So just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, the son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, he set aside his robe, and he put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. Then he got to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted. You're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, then not only wash my feet, then wash my hands, wash my head, Jesus said. If you have had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him, and that's why he said, not every one of you. I love the little commentary Eugene kind of throws in the message. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, he put it back on, and he went back to his place at the table. Man, what a powerful passage of scripture. What an amazing like picture of our master, of our Lord, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Next one we're going to go to is in Mark 10. 35 through 45, two of my uh, favorite people. James and John, uh, Zebedee's sons, they came up to, to him, to Jesus, and they said, teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. What is it? I can just see Jesus kind of like, what is it? I'll see what I can do. Arrange it, they said, so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory. One of us at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. Are you capable of drinking the cup I drink, of being baptized in the baptism I'm about to be plunged into? Sure, they said, why not? So then Jesus goes, well, come to think of it, you will drink the cup I drink. You will be baptized into my baptism. But as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. There are other arrangements for that. When the other 10 heard of this conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John, probably because they didn't think of it first, to be honest. <laughs> so Jesus got them together to settle things down. He said, look, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. 
He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. So I could stop now, and you've got the essence of what we're going through tonight. But let's pray, and I'll hopefully unwrap that a little bit. Jesus, we just ask that tonight, God, you would speak clearly through me, Lord. You would speak simply through me, God. You would speak in a way that it's easy for everyone to understand, to look at their situations, to look at their circumstances, to look at their life, Lord, and to let these passages of Scripture come to life. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you still speak to us today. You still move here today, just like you did when you were walking this earth. Lord, I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful to be able to serve you. Jesus, bless our time with you tonight. Let us learn more about being like you and more about following you. In Jesus' name. So the title of tonight is His Pyramid Scheme. His Pyramid Scheme. Some of you right now are like, pyramid schemes? What are we talking about here? It's not church topic. His pyramid scheme. Well, first of all, let's just look at it. A pyramid is a shape or a structure, okay? And a scheme is actually just a plan or a process. It's not talking about scheming like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. It's just talking about a plan and a process. So when I read those passages of scripture that we just referenced, the, one of the things that popped into my head was, wow, this is a pyramid. This is a scheme. It's very simple. There's, there's basically three examples of some pyramids in, in that phrase that we just talked about, in those passages we just read. So first one I'm look, I want to look at tonight with you guys is, is the one that James and John were working with. They had a pyramid scheme, and it, it looks something like this. They'll throw it up there in a second. But theirs was like Jesus at the very, very pinnacle point, and then James and John right there with him. We're just right at your right hand, God. This is what our pyramid scheme looks like. Everyone below us, and we're right there with you. Highest places of honor, Right? Doesn't that kind of seem like you could see where they're going there with that text? But then Peter, he's a little different. Peter's like, Jesus, you'll still be at the point. I just want to be right underneath you. You know, you, I understand that you're going to wash feet, but you can't wash my feet because I need to be underneath you. I need to be serving you. So he kind of comes to a pyramid that looks something like Peter in the middle. Jesus is still in his rightful place at the top of the pyramid, right? We see that. No problems. And then Jesus actually further on in that, in that passage of scripture, I didn't read it tonight, he says, I'm your rabbi. I'm your teacher. You call me that. And so he establishes his position at the top of the pyramid. But then he does something that's so unheard of, that's so crazy. He turns the pyramid upside down. He just flips it the other way and he says, because to be the greatest, I'm going to become the least. And that's the example that he left for us. That's the example that he asked us to follow. He said, if you want to be the greatest, become the least. If you want to be the master or the leader, become the least. He established that he belonged at the top, but then he put himself at the bottom. Just sit with that for a second. Just let God show you what that looks like in your own life. Show you areas in your life where you maybe haven't Put yourself at the bottom of it. You're still kind of trying to elevate yourself or ask for a position that maybe it's not yours to ask for. It's not yours to give. I want to share with you a story. Um, how many parents in the room? 
Okay, a few of you. Um, I am blessed with two wonderful children and a beautiful wife. My beautiful wife gave me my two wonderful children. It's pretty awesome. Those of you that know my wife, you know how awesome she is. So one of my, one of my children's name is Paige, which literally means servant. Now, I didn't plan to use this as a sermon illustration when I named her. Maybe God had that in mind, but I did not. Um, but her name literally means servant. And a few years ago, Paige, uh, we were asking her to do some work around the house, chores. Any parents ever struggle with getting your kids doing chores? See what I'm talking about there? You know, chores are kind of a form of service. They're, they're, they're something that teaches your children responsibility, teaches them things. So, so I'm having a conversation with Paige. And I don't remember what this specific chore was. It's not really that important. But Paige didn't quite grasp the whole concept of wanting to do chores. I don't get it. I mean, I thought every kid loved taking the trash out and doing the dishes, picking up the dog poop in the backyard. No? Sweeping the floors, mopping them, dusting. But anyway, she had, she had a little resistance against what was being asked of her. So possibly, I thought, maybe she just doesn't understand how this whole picture works. Maybe I haven't done my job as a parent in explaining why she needs to do chores, why she needs to serve. So we started a conversation talking about how there's benefits in the house, there's benefits of living in this house, there's, there's no rent. Granted, she was nine or 10, but still. <laughs> we talked about those benefits that she has, but we talked about the responsibility that comes with it. We talked about kind of some of the purpose of what you do as a child growing up. You have responsibility. You help carry the load. You help shoulder that load. So immediately she grasped it and said, okay, dad, I'd love to do all of it. No, that's not how the story played. So she did what most of us do, and I asked her permission to tell this story, and I'll tell you that today, Paige is one of the most phenomenal servants I've ever met. Like, I showed up tonight, and I had a coffee with, like, love notes written on it, and you'll do great, Dad, and all that kind of stuff. Amazing. Anyway, I can't go too far there. I'll start crying. So, so, so she has this, this resistance inside of her, right? This, and her flesh kind of boils over a little bit. She says a couple things that really probably weren't that awesome. No, they were, they were mean. She was like, I'm standing my ground. I'm not going to serve here. I'm not going to lower myself to that position, and so on and so forth. Her mother and I, we exchanged some conversation with her for a period of time at calm, easy, peaceful levels, never elevating, never... <laughs> Never raising or threatening or punishing or anything like that at all. I'm lying. We did some of that. Probably not parent moment of the year, but don't worry, it gets worse. So Paige, finally it goes, Paige, you do not talk again until you can say something that brings life. In this moment, are we understood? Those of you that don't know my daughter, she is incredibly strong incredibly strong, and someday she'll probably rule the world or something. She has the protagonist gift. That's actually the gifting that she was given. It's like 2% of the population, and it's like most common application is president or congressman or something like that. But anyway, she's in this conversation. She's like got something to say. We're kind of doing the parent thing. The lecture goes on and on and on, and she's ready to explode with everything that she has, and I'm like, is it life-giving? She's like, 
Against my better judgment, I'm like, okay then. Now let me stay, paint the stage for you. Risha's sitting in a chair here. I'm sitting in a chair here. Paige is sitting on like the table in the middle of my living room. On the edge of it. She stands up and she goes, I am an American. <laughs> I will not be held captivated in my own house. Remember I said the parenting got worse? Her mom and I then launched into the parent fail of the year or decade or so far of our lives. And we just burst out laughing. We just could not handle it, which automatically made her feel like so wonderful. She's like, I'm serious. And she storms out of her room and she runs to her bedroom and she starts packing her bags. She's like, I'm out of here. This is not happening. She's like nine, guys, nine. It's like November. It's rainy, snowy, whatever it does here in November. Depends on the day. So I'm like, oh, oh well, kind of look at each other. What do we do now? Where do we come back from this one? So I go in there. Hey, Paige, there's some responsibilities. There's being a daughter of this house. But she then pushes all chips all in. She's like, fine, I'm out. The bluff is supposed to work with the nine-year-old. It's supposed to. It didn't. So she starts packing a bag. And so then I go, okay, you're going to push all in. I'm going to push all in. You can't take that. I bought it. In fact, why don't you help me move your bed out of your room? Nope. That one too. Bought that. So Paige, quick, quick, quick. She's like, Gammy bought me this. Gammy bought me this. Gammy bought me these. She puts her flip-flops on. She's wearing T-shirt and shorts, again, November, and she walks out the door. So Reese then goes, I've got the bluff, don't worry. Paige, if you leave, I'm gonna have to call the police and let them know that you're running away. You're nine years old, it's not safe for you to be on the street. She grabs her phone, she picks it up, puts it to her ear, does the fake call. <laughs> Paige on her walkout, pauses for half a step, and then just keeps going. Fast forward, she gets about halfway down the, down the driveway. I kind of walk after her, and I just, I eventually go, hey, Paige, I love you. She stops, she turns, wonderful embrace, amazing moments. And it, it's great restoration. <laughs> Rachel later asked her, she's like, you didn't even flinch with the police call. She's like, yeah, your phone wasn't lit up. I knew you weren't on it. <laughs> I'm in trouble, pray for me, okay? <laughs> Serious. But basically what Paige didn't grasp is the full picture of service. What she didn't grasp is that service is not a list of chores, of do's, and of don'ts. Service is a privilege and an opportunity and a purpose in a way that we get to contribute back to things. It's kind of what the disciples didn't really fully understand or realize. So in light of the celebration of discipline that we've been in, and today's discipline is service, what I want to talk to you guys tonight is about the starting lineup. J.O. would call it the five smooth stones, but I like basketball, so we're going to go with the starting lineup. So five points on how to apply and how to work with service in your life, okay? So I, I'm a big proponent of taking notes because I'm not a great proponent of going to church on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night and then going to Monday and being like, oh man, it was so good this weekend. And I go, well, what was it? I missed it. And they go, it was good. 
If it doesn't change you, if you don't take something from tonight to actually apply to your life, then it was kind of worthless. I mean, maybe I got a few laughs out of the way, or maybe you feel like you got to know me a little better, or, or I got an opportunity to stand on the stage and tell you a funny story about my daughter, but take something from this and apply it to your life. And, and a way that will help you do that maybe is taking notes. So, so point number one is know your placement before you choose your place to serve. Know your placement before you choose your place. Remember when Jesus, before he started serving the disciples, what he did was he said, it says he knew, says he knew that the father had put him in complete charge of everything. He understood his placement. He understood, it says that he was sent from God and that he would return to God. So know your placement before you choose your place, point one. Point two, Get a revelation of who you are in Christ. Now, there's this wonderful scripture we like to use a lot in Psalm 139, verse 14. It says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? We know the scripture. It's a very popular one. Sometimes couples go, well, I'm fearfully and she's wonderfully made. But no, you each are fearfully and wonderfully made. God created you for a specific purpose. He put a specific talent and gift inside of you. And he gave you the opportunity to use those gifts. He fully did. You're in this house, this faith community, because you have something. Now, what if we all came to this understanding our placement? Because Jesus said before that, that anything he did, we can do, right? He said, the same power I have, you have. So what if we all served and we understood that that's what we have inside of us? I think sometimes we try to be everything we aren't because we don't understand all that we truly are. We try to be that guy or that girl because we don't understand the magnificence of what God put in you. You know, there's another element to it. I mean, Jesus alluded to it. You, you can't have J.O.'s anointing and evangelism and heart for the loss if you haven't walked the life that it took him to get it. And he's just one example. We could go around the room. Each one of us has had a journey and a process that brought us to this place. So you can't really do what you're supposed to do and serve the way you're supposed to serve unless you get a revelation of who you are. Don't be so concerned with being someone else. Be who you are fully supposed to be. Point three, you need to get a revelation of the church. You need to get a revelation of the church, guys. You know, he alludes to it in, in Mark 10. He talks about, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. They do these things that are, they get a little bit of power and, they're, and that's not the way the church is designed. Now, I started being a pastor two years ago. That's just when I got the title of this. I believe that I've walked in this for 10, 15 years. Each one of you, there's many pastors in this room that have been pastoring a lot longer than I have. But there's something that I've learned about being a pastor. When I, when I meet someone, say, in a, a, playing basketball at the Croc or, or at an open gym somewhere or just run into them at a store, the conversation's going well. It's a good conversation. And then, and then all of a sudden it comes up something like, hey, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, I work at a church. Sometimes they'll even be like, um, I work at a nonprofit. And I'll understand why in just a minute. I'm not hiding from what I do. But, but what happens is you say, hey, I'm a pastor. And they go, Oh, well, I've, um, I love Jesus um, and the son of, um, what was his dad's name? Um, the, it gets weird. 
Seriously, like they think that I, I want this, this something where I'm like, no, we're having a good conversation. Maybe we're talking about a movie and maybe I like the movie. Maybe it's not 100% edifying, but maybe I still like it a little bit. And then they're like, oh, I mean, uh, I, I haven't actually seen that movie. Uh, a, guy, a friend of mine, he told me about, don't get weird. But then the other one, this one, this one's, it gets me even worse than that one. I can, I can handle the getting weird thing. I get weird sometimes around certain people when they tell me what they do. But, but this one, yeah, hey, do you, you go to church? Well, no, I mean, we just, we just haven't really found a church that, that meets all of our needs yet. We're, we're looking for one. And we've tried like 14 or 15 of them. Uh, there's just, you know, there's always something. In fact, there's even like this skit I, I saw on YouTube the other day. A friend of mine sent it to me. He goes, it's called House Hunters. Oh, no, it's called Church Hunters. House Hunters is the real show. Church Hunters is the spoof on it. But it's like this couple and they show up and, hey, today we prepared three churches for you to look at. And they've got like a, a biography on each one of them. This one was founded in 1912. The pastor dresses this way. The worship is this style. The lights are this way. The sound is this way. I love the humor. It makes me chuckle. But if I truly peel it back, it really bothers me. It really bothers me. Guys, we have to understand the purpose of this church, the purpose of any church is not to be a consumer. The purpose of our gathering here today was not to listen to Seth and team sing a song. It's not to, wow, they did a great job with that video. Wow, that guy told a funny story. The purpose of the church is to serve. The purpose of the church is to put themselves below others. The purpose of the church is to meet the needs of other people. The purpose of the church is to change lives. And the way that lives are changed is because we serve people. You want proof? You want your marriage to get better? Start serving your spouse. You want your friendships to get better? Serve your friends. You want your community to get better? Serve your community. You want your workplace to get better? That boss to stop giving you a hard time? Start serving them. When you serve, lives are changed. Do you want to know the first life that's changed? Yours. I would propose in all of the processes and programs and ways that we serve our community, the secondary customer is the one that actually gets served. The primary customer is the one that gets to serve. Whether we're talking about Father's Market, whether we're talking about a ride to pick up people that don't have a ride to get to church, the primary person that gets served first is the person that gets to serve. And some of you are like, I know, I've done that, I love it. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's okay, you have opportunities to serve. You have opportunities. Parents, if you wanna see something change in your kids, start serving them. Start serving them. If you wanna see them and their relationship with Jesus change, let them see you earnestly serve Jesus, and then two, encourage them to get involved and find a way to contribute within church. Uh, a mentor of mine, he tells a story about how this happens, and, and I totally agree with it, so I'm going to steal it and act like it was my story, okay? I was honest. But he says, you know, in our house, when our kids hit fifth grade, we say, go find a place to serve in. 
And then after a while, they start serving, and then their friends become kids that are in church, and their, their friends become people that love Jesus, and then they feel the purpose of it. So they're no longer just going to church, they become the church, and they're no longer just receiving at church, they're doing at church, they're contributing at church, they fulfill the purpose in their lives. And he said, and then we get the greatest thing, and when I showed my daughter this, she was unhappy, I said, we get to actually punish our kids by telling them they can't go to church. You're like, what kind of pastor doesn't let their kids go to church? No, it is an effective punishment in my house. Paige, you will not be able to serve in Bridges tomorrow. No, but Dad, I just, I really want to. Liam, you will not be able to do sound. But Dad, not in here yet. We're working on it. Okay, point four. You need to get a revelation of purpose. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that Jesus puts eternity in our hearts. You want to know what your purpose is? What does your heart scream at you that you need to do? What does it scream at you when you walk through the halls of this church? What does it scream at you when you walk on the boardwalk in downtown Coeur d'Alene? What does it scream at you when you walk through the halls of your house? What does it scream at you when you walk through the halls of your workplace? Or you're standing in a boardroom or sitting in a kitchen? What does it scream at you? That's your purpose. Point five. Starting lineup, right? Point five. You need to get a revelation of service. I'll define service this way. Service is what's in your hands. It's what your hands find the opportunity to do. Now, that could be within this building. That could be anywhere. We have this, this wonderful scripture we love to quote as Christians. It's Colossians 3.23, right? It says, in all things, do it with all that you are, unto Jesus. In all that you do, whatever you do, let me read it a different way. Whatever you choose to do, if you choose to serve on fit, if you choose to serve on media or vessels or father's market or any other ministry in the church, or you choose to coach, or you choose to to just pour in at people at Boys and Girls Club, or you choose to cook dinner for your family, or you choose to drive your kids to school, or you choose to take them as a chauffeur service to every social event that they suddenly have to be involved in. Whatever you choose to do, do that unto the Lord. If you choose to lead a team at work, do that unto the Lord. Sometimes as Christians, we get into this service mindset that the only way for you to serve is to be on a team here in this building. But guys, we have to serve beyond just this building. I say frequently, my title here is I'm the community pastor, which means my job is to help you find the exits. But that's it. We have to be the church outside of being this church building. We have to be the church in everything that we encounter and everything that we do. You do have to understand this. When you say yes to something God puts in your hand, you will have to say no to some other good things because you can't take on everything. Time and time again, you hear this story, I'm burnt out. I'm just doing too much. I would propose that if you're doing what God called you to do, you cannot be burnt out because he says, my grace is sufficient for you. I will sustain you. But that means you have to exercise self-control, which I think is one of the fruit of the spirit, in order to know what to say no to. Now, you can't hide behind that and just be like, oh, no, I'm, I can't do that. I'm unburnt out. That's between you and Jesus. Don't lie, you're in church. So that's our starting five, right? But wait a minute. It's Super Bowl season. That means it's football. 
So we should have 11 points, not five, because the starting lineup is 11 people, not five people. But if I would have said 11 in the beginning, half of you would have turned out. So I'm back. So point six, our service develops our character. Service develops your character. Character keeps you where your talent takes you. Or another way I like to say it is don't let your talent take you somewhere your character can't keep you. How many times have you seen someone rise to a platform or a level in whatever field we're talking about and then fall? It's because they didn't develop the character they needed while they were serving to have what they needed when they were leading. So you have to let character be built inside of you through service. Point seven, service is learning. Service is learning. Service is the process that, that God uses to reveal the purpose in your life or the process that God gets to give you the promise in your life. The disciplines of God help you survive his blessings. The disciplines of God help you survive his blessings. If you don't develop the discipline, you cannot survive the blessing. If you don't learn to strengthen up, you can't hold the weight that's needed. Point eight, serve out of sight. Well, that one seems out of left field. Well, kind of it is. I'm gonna give you two reasons why you serve out of sight. One, God loves you and he protects you. Sometimes you can't handle the praise that comes from doing the job right. So he lets you do it out of sight so you don't get that praise. Or sometimes you do it all wrong and so he protects you by being it out of sight. I'm serious. If you guys would have seen during some of the times that I was learning some of the things I've learned, it would hurt my testimony dramatically. But God loved me enough that he protected me in those instances. Here's another reason. Catch this one. Don't miss this. There's a scripture that says things that are seen are temporary, but things that are unseen are eternal. So if the blessing that comes from being seen is temporary, and the blessing that comes from being unseen is eternal, which would you rather have? You make the decision. I mean, you can choose it. But Bobby, I want to preach. You know, I was going to title this sermon initially uh, from the parking lot to the pulpit because my actual ministry life started in the parking lot. But when I say that, most of you think starting point parking lot, finish point pulpit. But in actuality, parking lot or pulpit, it doesn't matter. My purpose is service. So we don't strive to get to one position because that's the next level up the pyramid. Remember what God's pyramid looks like. His pyramid scheme is upside down. Point nine, service sometimes just means submitting. Simple. Submission of action in church is really easy. I could ask most of you to do just about anything and, and we would actually applaud and reward you for doing it. Oh, it's so great. Thank you, Wyatt. You know, Wyatt actually is a really great servant. He very, one time, it will forever stay in my memory, he showed up on a 909 service before it. It snowed a ton the night before and there was just all this snow outside and I was like, hey man, you wanna go do this with me? He's like, yeah. And we go out there and we're just like in our dress clothes, in our church clothes, getting rid of piles of snow-ish ice stuff that the snowplow had shoved in front of the entrance over there. And we reward that, right? That is a positive thing. That is like, good job. But submission of heart, which is the other kind of submission, is sometimes more difficult. You can do all the right things but have the wrong reasons. 
When I talked about serving in a parking lot, initially it was a positive heart, but eventually it became a, they'll see me do this heart. So your why is more important than your what sometimes. You have to be submitted in action and in heart. Number 10, you gotta serve another man's field. There's a scripture in, uh, in Luke, I think it's like 16. It says, if you've not been faithful to sow into someone else's, how will you ever be trusted with your own? Often we only wanna build our own ministry. We only wanna build our own testimony. We only wanna build our own platform. But God will never let you have one unless you've been faithful to sow into someone else's. So if you're a youth worker or fit member or whatever you do, be faithful to serve into the person you're serving. You don't have to just serve into yourself. This is my last point. Service is the goal, not just the process. What do you mean? Service is the goal. I want to give you this scripture. I take a little bit of license in the way that I tell the story. You'll know the part that's me, I promise. It's in Luke 12. It says, lucky the servants whom the master finds on watch when he returns. He'll put on an apron. He'll sit them at the table. And he'll serve them cookies. No, it says he'll serve them a meal, sharing his wedding feast with them. It doesn't matter what time of night he arrives. They're awake and so blessed. Guys, the goal, the end result, what Jesus promises us when he returns, when the master returns, is that we'll be able to be served by him. That's the example that we follow. That's what we're all called to do. Service isn't just about the things that it does for you. It isn't just about the character that it builds inside of you. It isn't just about the way that it transforms you and causes you to be more like him. Service isn't just about the people that are reached, the lives that are changed other than your own. It isn't just about the fact that people will come to know Jesus, which is one of the most amazing things ever, because you're willing to serve. In the very end, when the master returns, his whole thing he'll do is lounge back, hang out with us, and serve us immediately.